Hello and welcome to the Pandemic Puppy Podcast, brought to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Facebook group. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm so excited to be here with you. We're going to cover puppy raising right from the start here on this podcast, and although I'm a professional dog trainer, this is actually going to be my first time raising a puppy as well. So I'm right in the trenches with you on the good, the bad, the cute, and the stinky. So we are starting from the beginning today with Rebecca Hints again about deciding between a shelter and a breeder for your puppy. So if you listen to our last episode about whether or not you're ready for a puppy, you'll remember Rebecca from that. Um, and she's back today to discuss how to decide where to get your puppy. In our upcoming episodes, we'll talk about you know how to find a good breeder, how to find a good shelter, how to pick a puppy from each of those sources. Um, so Rebecca, can you give people a quick overview of you and your business for anyone who might have missed the last episode? Absolutely. I'm Rebecca. As Kayla said, I own Wintegrity Canine and have been doing behavior and training with multiple species for around 35 years. I'm a KPA graduate, Karen Pryor Academy, and have worked with a lot of behaviorists. I do a lot of behavior cases and I do a lot of resourcing puppies or adult dogs for people who are looking for a new member of their family. Very cool. So we've kind of got nine factors that we've pulled out um, for thinking about or considering when deciding on where to get your next dog from. And this is actually all pulled from my own decision when I was sourcing my um, my puppy Niffler. Um, and I wrote a blog post about this, which we'll link to in the show notes if you prefer to read or want to refer back to it more easily. So the very first thing that we want you to consider when thinking about where to get your puppy is lifestyle needs. Do you want to start there, Rebecca? Sure. So when we're looking at getting a puppy, the way we live our life is really important. If I'm a really active person, then I need to look at a dog that's really active. We need to really sit down and do just an actual lifestyle assessment. What does every day look like? Are your weekends really different from your weekdays? And figure out what's going to work for you. One of the big things that I get requested all the time is I'm looking for a hypoallergenic dog. Mm-hmm. And there are actually breeds that say they are hypoallergenic. The challenge is, and you can go to the Mayo Clinic website and we can include a link to that. It's actually not real. There's no such thing as hypoallergenic because dogs carry three allergens, their hair or fur, their dander, and their saliva. Some new research is also linked to urine and that urine and saliva dry on the dog's coat and those flake off and that also causes allergy problems. So if you're looking at allergen issues, that's something that helps you decide, you know, gosh, can I go to the shelter and get a dog that doesn't have a known genetic background? Or do I know that these certain breeds don't trigger my allergies? So I need to go to a breeder to get the dogs that work for my allergies or my family's allergy issues. And so your lifestyle, health, exercise, if you have a rental apartment or home, a lot of times there's either breed or size restrictions. Mm -hmm. And so you know, it, depending on your shelter, you may or may not have access to the dogs that are going to fit within those specifications. And so there's a lot of things that come in. And the best thing you can do is sit down and, and it's hard because people don't want to write things down. Like we're done with school. Mm-hmm. I don't want to write anymore, but you really need to. And that daily schedule from Monday through Friday, and then your weekend schedule a lot of people say, well, gosh, you know, I go jogging on the weekends and I kayak and I hike and I, this and I, that but I work 12 hours a day, Monday through Friday. Well, the dog that can do all of the weekend activity isn't necessarily the best dog for the weekday sitting around on the couch waiting for you to come home. And so you really need to weigh that. And then one of the things that we don't think about is what I have in my shelters all the time 
in California is very different than what somebody in Tennessee has in their shelters mm-hmm. all the time. And so you have to really do some research and find out, you know, what's typically available so that you can determine if that's going to fit your lifestyle. And if yeah. those dogs are available at the shelter, that's fantastic. But if they're not, then again, you might be looking at going to a breeder to find something that fits the way you live your life. Yeah. So we also talk about hot household dynamics. Kayla, did you want to talk a little bit about how that can affect where you choose to get a puppy? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, just to to piggyback on the lifestyle needs, you know, I think the big thing for me is the more specific your needs are with your lifestyle, the harder it may be to find that in a shelter, particularly if you're really looking for a puppy. Um, The shelter that I used to work for in Denver, we very rarely got puppies that were anything other than kind of like pit bull lab mix generic you know they're kind of they're going to be floppy eared medium to high energy medium to large dogs um and if you were looking for anything other than that you were going to have a really really hard time at that particular shelter you know it's denver so there are other shelters and other rescues breed specific whatever um but if you really are dead set on a puppy of a specific type um, depending on your shelter, that might be really hard to find. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about household dynamics, you know? So if you have small children and another dog, or maybe a cat and an unfenced yard and you work full time, you might have a really, really hard time getting matched with a puppy at a shelter. Um, because those shelters just, they don't know as much about the history of the puppies or the breed or, you know, whatever it is. And they might have a really high demand for those puppies as well. So, if you've got a couple of those, not even strikes against you, but lifestyle household factors that make you uh, make it more challenging to find a puppy that's the right fit for you, you might find yourself perpetually towards the back of the line at a shelter. Um, you know, depending on the shelter, some shelters are more first come, first serve. Um, but in many areas, you'll struggle to find a shelter dog that can handle what is honestly a relatively normal life. You know, you've got an, an apartment with no yard and a kid and a cat, all of a sudden that might be really hard to find at a shelter, not necessarily with puppies, but it's something to consider again, given your, your local area. Absolutely. And one of the things to really think about is treat your shelter employees really kindly. They are processing a lot of requests for that dog that was posted Tuesday night. And the truth is they just don't have time to go back and interview you and find out that you're using a doggy daycare, that you've got a pet sitter that comes in every day while you're at work. They have to take the first person that looks good on paper a lot of time because they only have so many volunteers and employees to process the paperwork. And breeders oftentimes are looking to create a relationship. And so they put a lot, they have the time to put into the less volume of people who are coming to them for puppies. So a lot of times, like Kayla said, it's not a strike against you. It's just that it's not a quick and easy square peg, square hole. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I think it really fits into our our first point where, again, if because of your household dynamics, um, you have some really specific needs. And even if those needs are entirely reasonable, it might be hard to find in a shelter. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, doing your research to find a good a good breed and a good breeder and, you know, lines and puppy raising that all suit your needs uh, may set you up for success more. Yes. You know, that, though on the flip side, if you're pretty flexible about what you are looking for and what you need, then you absolutely can find that at a shelter. And, you know, that's great too. Absolutely. So let's talk about your goals with your dog and how that may dictate where you end up going. 
goals are something that we talk about a little bit with our lifestyle needs, but you know, people are so different. And I think that we forget that dogs today are doing a thousand different things. There's people that are out doing sheep herding with their dogs. There's people doing agility, rally, obedience. People are taking their dogs, the, the paddleboard sport. Talk about a sport that dogs and humans are doing together and just having a fantastic time. You have to have an idea toward the future you want to live with your dog so that you can figure out what kind of dog to get. You know, if I'm going to do agility with it, there's a better opportunity to find that dog at a shelter than there is to maybe find the dog that's going to do service dog work mm -hmm. because service dog work requires such an incredibly stable temperament and very few dogs that are bred for the purpose of server service work make the final cut and, and pulling that out of a shelter is even more difficult. And so when Absolutely. you're looking at what you want, you also have to factor in, you know, if I were to adopt a dog at a shelter, and it was spayed or neutered pediatrically, meaning at eight weeks old, typically. Hormonally, some of the development is going to be different than a dog that was not spayed or neutered mm -hmm. pediatrically. And so when you take those hormones away, there's some growth differences and there's some developmental differences. And is that going to impact the soundness of the dog and the suitability for the job you've chosen? For me, it does. For some people, it doesn't. And, you know, that's a big thing with anything you do with a dog. What goals do you have? Is it going? Is the dog going to have what you want when they mature? Does genetic consistency matter? Or are you the kind of person that, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. When I adopted my big dog, you know, he was two years old and had a lot of health and behavior issues. And we took him knowing that whatever he wanted to do, he was going to do. And he loves to go hiking. But as he's gotten older, he's definitely a, a dog that believes in protection. And he does not, I mean, I've taken him hiking and had a chihuahua latch onto his leg. He's 140 pounds. And we were on a narrow ledge with a cliff on one side and I didn't want to fall down. And, you know, he's such a solid dog. He stood there and waited for me to remove the chihuahua, but <laughs> he doesn't feel the same way about people. And so he's mm -hmm. not a dog I put into crowded situations. I, I got him hoping he would do mobility service work for me. He helps me on hikes because I need the help on hiking. But I don't ever put that dog in a public access type of an environment. It's not the right environment for him. So I was very flexible. Yeah. Justice got to decide who he wanted to be. And I went with that. And I think that's the most important thing. If you're looking for a dog that's going to absolutely do what you want and you have very little variation, then you probably should go with a breeder. Yeah. If you're very flexible, then a shelter dog just might work for you. And it might be like it has been for me one of the best relationships you've ever had. Justice and I, I, I just, I can't tell anybody how deep our relationship is. He's the dog that literally took away PTSD nightmares. And yeah. could I have found that anywhere else? I don't know, but I found it in my rescue. And it's just yeah. incredible for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I have a similar story. So, you know, Barley, when I first got him, I was looking for a dog who, you know, could handle the fact that I worked four 10 hour days a week and also wanted to go skiing um, and hiking with me. That was what I was looking for. And I ended up with a dog who is just a phenomenal agility partner. He's the best detection dog I could ever um, hope to work with. And, you know, he has really risen to the occasion and shown me how much stuff he wants to do. And I was hoping to dabble in dog sports when I got him, but I was very flexible about what that was. 
versus then when I was looking for my next dog and I knew I wanted a conservation detection dog again, I had a really hard time finding what I was looking for at the shelter. And to be fair, I wasn't looking at puppies. I was looking at older dogs, but that was partially because puppies from shelters are pretty unpredictable. So I felt more comfortable given how specific my needs were looking at an adult dog. Um, and I did find some dogs that looked really promising, um, but for various reasons, uh, I had multiple potential adoptions not go through. So, you know, it is possible to find these, you know, these champion agility dogs or these great detection dogs or a mobility support service dog at a shelter. But if that is like your need, that that is like your number one thing that you really, really want this dog to succeed at, you might have a really hard time finding at, that at the shelter. Again, depending, you know, I like I know if you're willing to wait and you have good relationships with people at the shelter and you're willing to look, willing to travel, willing to help with testing, temperament testing, you can probably find just about anything at a shelter, but it's going it it might take a lot longer. Um, and then one of the things that I always want to talk to people about with puppies in particular from a shelter is that it's not all in how you raise them. So just because you're getting them at a young age doesn't mean you can mold them into anything you want. And of course, the same is true for a purpose-bred dog of any sort. You know, there's still a chance that Niffler is going to grow up and not be the dog that I hoped for, but I'm stacking the deck in my favor genetically and with his early life as much as I possibly can. And puppies born into a highly stressful environment, aka a shelter, or from mothers who were starved during stages in pregnancy, or from a father who was aggressive, jumped the fence and impregnated the mother, or, you know, whatever it is that are all pretty reasonable situations for how an oops litter could happen, those puppies are carrying that genetic and epigenetic burden for the rest of their lives. It does not mean they're bad dogs. It does not mean you should not adopt them, but it is much more of a gamble than if you're looking at, a you know, a puppy where the parents, great-grandparents, you know, all the way back were all successful herding dogs, you know, then you kind of know that at least you're getting the genetic package that suits your goals. It, it, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's funny. I get that question a lot. You know, well, how, why wouldn't a puppy be the perfect dog? I get to mold it into what I want. Mm -hmm. And I always equate it to, you know, I have two children and my husband and I come from somewhat diverse backgrounds. And guess what? I have two incredibly different children yeah. and puppies absolutely are part of their environment, but the genetics come into play and, you know, you really depending on what you're looking for, if you're looking for something in particular, then you want to, just like you said, stack the deck in your favor. If you are open to, you know, working with a trainer, if, if problems crop up with a puppy, then a shelter puppy has a good home with you because you're, you're preparing yeah. to give them the things they need. Yeah. And it's true of all puppies. It just can be more common that a shelter puppy is going to need some behavioral help and if you're the person that's going to provide that, I will tell you, I have such good relationships with my clients who have adopted shelter puppies and put in the work. And it's, it's really a wonderful thing, but you just have to know going in that that's a possibility. The other thing that really comes in is health. You know, we adopted a Mastiff and hip dysplasia is really common out here. It's about $10,000 per hip for hip replacement. And oh my God. what is it where you are? I have no idea. I've never looked. Oh. Yeah. Out here, I helped with a rate fundraise for a great Dane that needed hips. Um, but yeah, it's about $10,000 a hip. So when we adopted our dog, he was already not um, in good shape. He was extremely skinny and had some issues. 
And my husband and I, it's like, well, we don't know if he's going to be sound or not. And we have a daughter with health issues. So we had to have a really hard discussion. Are we going to come up with $20,000 to take care of the dog when we also have to come up with that kind of money for our daughter? And, you know, those Ah. are discussions we really have to have because what we don't realize often when we adopt, because it's, you know, it's so emotional. You go to the shelter. it's It's beautiful. You love it. And you take the dog home. You may or may not qualify for health insurance. If the dog upon exam has any orthopedic pre-existing conditions, those will not be covered. So had Justice gone in for an insurance exam and shown any orthopedic challenges, they would not have covered him and we would have had to make that decision. Do we come out of pocket if it ever happens? We've been blessed, it hasn't happened, but you have to think about that stuff because we do live in a world where sometimes dollars help make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So I think next on our list is availability. And we've already hinted at this a couple of times, but there is massive variability across the U.S. and around the world in what you can and will find at shelters. So, you know, the shelter I worked for in Denver, we had a ton of pit bulls and a ton of chihuahuas. (laughs) Um, And then a lot of German shepherds and border collies and kind of your odd, you know, high energy, anxious sort of thing. Um, We got a lot of transfers in from the Deep South. So, you know, we had partnerships with shelters in Oklahoma and Texas. And those dogs tended to be a lot more hounds and hound mixes and, you know, those sorts of dogs. Um, Other shelters, you know, up here in Montana, we get a ton of failed ranch dogs in our shelters. So a lot of herding dogs um, and almost never tiny dogs. The only tiny dogs we have in our shelters pretty much universally come from an out-of-state transfer. Um, into the shelter, which there's nothing wrong with that, but they're just, they're few and far between. And I I can't even speak to the variability you might see if you're not here in the US, but I imagine it's massive. So again, knowing what's available in your area and trying to figure out how to work with a shelter or rescue to help find what you're looking for or being willing to travel. Um, Two of the dogs that I looked at earlier in 2020 um, one was a Sheltie Border Collie mix that was nine months old and being given up for being too, hall, too high drive, um, which is exactly what I was looking for. Um, he was in Sacramento. I'm in Missoula, Montana. Um, and the other dog that I looked at um, was in St. Louis. So those, because I am so specific with my goals, I was having to look that far and wide, even though I am looking at a pretty common breed. You know, I'm looking at Border Collies. Like there, there are tons of Border Collies in shelters. So again, depending on where you are and depending on what you're looking for, depending on your timeline, depending on how far you're willing to travel, you may or may not have luck in a shelter. And, you know, the same goes for a breeder, to be perfectly honest. You know, if I really want to finish lap hunt, I'm going to have a hard, I mean, there's basically no way that I'm going to find a finished lap hunt in a shelter, but it's not going to be easy to find one at a breeder either, or a Basenji or, you know, whatever it is. And then randomly, there might be something really easy. Um, One of the women in my agility class breeds Rhodesian Ridgebacks and breeds really nice dogs. If I ever decided I wanted a Ridgeback, it would be kind of weirdly easy for me to get one versus, you know, uh, some other breeds that may seem more common, but there just isn't a breeder local in Missoula um, for what I want. So it cuts both ways as far as availability goes. Yeah, we have a, a, a ongoing supply of Malinois and we're getting them as young teenagers who are out of control. You know, they've they've not had the right structure. Um, I recently helped a wonderful family. Um, they did not realize that their Malinois was going to be really mouthy. And mm. as That's trainers, we know what we're getting. 
Um, they really, they, and, and he showed me the websites he went to and it, he wanted a trainable dog and it said they were trainable. They absolutely are, but you better want to train several hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we have, we are like you, we have a lot of chihuahuas. Our top three are chihuahuas, pit bulls, and German shepherds. And mm-hmm. lately a lot of Malinois. Um, the other thing to consider is, you know, learn, learn about your shelter. Get, to, you know, a great thing. If you're really looking at a shelter dog, see if you can volunteer. Mm-hmm. And get to know the staff at the shelter. Find out, do they have anybody credentialed? that is helping assess the animals. I have a, our Solano SBCA has a credentialed trainer on staff that helps assess the puppies. So I can send people there knowing that what she says is pretty much what they're gonna get. And she won't say, this puppy's going to be this because she realizes we don't know. And so you get a really fair assessment from her. And, but that's not true of all shelters. So you have to find out, you know, what kind of shelter it is and how open are you to the flexibility that may happen with whatever you bring home. And then yeah. budget's a big one. You know, I often hear people saying, well, golly gee, that shelter has dogs for $400. That's a ripoff. In my area for an adult dog to get spayed or neutered that weighs about 70 pounds, it's about $700 with a lot of our vets. So that $400 adoption fee that includes licensing, vaccinations, heartworm treatment, microchip, and a spay or neuter, that is a heck of a good deal. And yeah. Absolutely. You need to take that into consideration. You know, what, what is your budget and budget in training, budget in the supplies that you need for your dog? Some things are the same, whether you get a dog from the shelter or from a breeder, you're going to spend this, the, the trainer's not going to ask where the dog came from. It's the same amount that dog food companies don't give you a discount for getting a shelter dog. Mm-hmm. But if that's important to you, or if the idea of rescue is important to you, then just make sure that you have set aside a good budget. You know what you're doing and that you're prepared for whichever path you go down with your dog, because the most important thing, and I don't care where you get your dog, the most important thing is to honor who your dog is and let them lead the life that you're going to live. Because just like justice said, you know what? I love taking you hiking. I'll help you up and down hills all day long, but he did not want to go to a grocery store. He had no interest in doing public access work. And I had to say, well, I'm not going to own five dogs because I don't want to do that. So I'll have a service husband. My husband helps me up and down the stairs at the movie theater because I need help with those. And I leave the dog at home. So just honor the dog that you that you buy or adopt. It doesn't matter which it is. Just honor what you get. Yeah. On the note of budgets, I actually have the numbers more or less for my dog. So I can compare. It's obviously a little different because Barley was an adult when I got him. But, you know, even assuming he was a puppy, When I got him, he was um, three years old. He was neutered. He was up to date on his vaccinations. He was registered. He was microchipped. And he was $75 because I got a 50% discount because I worked at the shelter. That is awesome. Yeah. And he's obviously had his fair share of veterinary bills over the years. He's still not going to end up long-term being a cheap thing. You know, my houseplants are certainly cheaper than him. Um, (laughs) But, you know, overall, we avoided those massive upstart costs. and then. On the flip side, um, Niffler was $900, which is pretty cheap for a purebred sporty dog. Um, and that's because his his dad actually didn't have some of the health testing that the breeder had hoped for. So she gave them, she sold them for a little bit cheaper. And then, you know, Niffler is going to need the same supplies as Barley. So those costs are going to be more or less the same because we'll have to buy different size crate, different size harness, all of those sorts of things. I, you know, now I need more leashes. Um, 
and he needs beds and harnesses and all the veterinary stuff. You know, even though I'm not planning on neutering him um, anytime soon, he does still need all sorts of vaccinations. And, you know, I'm just going to honestly have him for longer as well. So, you know, all in all, Niffler is going to end up being quite a bit more expensive than Barley, if nothing else, because he's starting out $800 more expensive. <laughs> uh, even if everything else ends up being the same, and it won't because Barley didn't grow once I got him. You know, I didn't have to get any extra supplies. So um, this podcast is supported by Journey Dog Training and our puppy raising blueprint course. If you're feeling lost with puppy raising, check out the course at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. The full course covers topics ranging from common pop-up behaviors and socialization to the humane hierarchy of dog training. And it's all taught by me, Kayla Fratt. If you need more personalized training support, check out journeydogtraining.com for a variety of courses, eBooks, and remote training services. I will also say for the Puppy Raising Blueprint, um, people currently are having a hard time finding pricing on it. Um, we need to update the, the page. Um, currently, as of January 3rd, it is $80 with a 50% off code. That'll get it down to 40 but uh, just know we're working on the whole, the fact that it is currently hard to find the pricing on the landing page. And that's a fantastic deal. It's a huge, it's a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it covers a ton of stuff. And I'm actually planning, hopefully, to update some of the videos with Niffler. Um, the videos, it was actually a lot of fun when I filmed it. I just went and borrowed like five different puppies. So the videos are with different puppies. Um, and most of them are puppies I'd never met before. So even though they might be older or different breeds from yours, a lot of them are kind of coming in pretty green to the training, which is cool. That's neat. Yeah. Um, and this podcast is also supported by our members on Patreon. So for as little as $3 a month, you get to support the podcast, which helps offset the editing fees and the hosting fees because all of this stuff costs money. And then you also get perks like submitting questions for us to tackle at the end of each episode. So you can sign up to support the podcast at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. So let's kind of get on to number six, which is other preferences. Um, I don't remember whose turn it is, but we've kind of both been doing both. So I'll start. <laughs> All righty. Um, and what I want to say here is it is absolutely okay when you're thinking about getting a dog to say, you know, I want a smaller dog or, you know, I like a certain coat type or I prefer male versus female or I prefer pointy ears and a curly tail. That's okay. You don't have to, just because you want a dog, you don't have to be okay with any look, even if it is, you know, arguably frivolous. You have to look at the thing for hopefully 15 years. So you might as well like looking at it. And I think that's okay. You know, I urge most people not to get too picky, especially with looks. But it's absolutely okay to strike a balance here. If you have a strong preference for a certain look and you're willing to wait for the right dog, go for it. That said, again, with shelters and rescues, um, they get so few puppies in general, and it's so hard to predict what they're going to end up looking like because you don't know their genetic heritage, um, especially things like size and coat type. You can't necessarily look at an eight-week-old puppy and say what the size or coat type is going to be if you don't know the genetic heritage. Even my puppy, who's currently 11 weeks, I have no idea whether or not he's going to end up being fluffy or not. Um, he doesn't look as fluffy as a lot of other border collies, but both his parents were fluffy. So who knows? I agree with you. Um, I, I think we've gotten to this point where we're almost supposed to not have an opinion about the dog we want. But, and I, with my clients, I always tell them, you know, you were attracted to your husband, wife, partner for something. And, you know, that's how we're, we're built. We are attracted to things. I tend to be attracted to kind of 
big, tough dogs, Dobermans, Borbols. And then, but at the same time, I like the little Russell Terriers and the cute dogs. That's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with what you're attracted to. Um, and my men, you know, I'm attracted to my husband. It's a darn good thing. We have two kids. It's important that I wake up in the morning when I'm mad at him and look at him and think, okay, I still love you. And, you know, for me, it's a lot easier to, to look at a potty mess on the floor and then look over at the dog and say, oh my gosh, but you're still cute. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be attracted to your dog. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, my parents wanted a standard poodle and we wanted to rescue really badly. And I was headed off to a behavior seminar and I coordinated with a a breeder to go look at puppies that weekend. Would you believe that Monday we had poodles that had come into our shelter the week before, both severely traumatized. We could, they couldn't separate them because one went off food for three days and they finally put them in the same kennel. And Thursday before I left for the seminar, I went down and adopted two standard poodles. We waited almost three years to do that. If it's what you want, it's what you want. It's okay. Get what you want. Be picky if it's, you know, what you want. Just realize we didn't get a standard poodle puppy. And as my mother continually reminds me, we didn't get a standard poodle. We now have two, which means she has twice (laughs) the grooming to do. But it was what worked for our family. And it's what my mom and dad both wanted. And that's okay. We They got to do what they wanted to do. And we have two wonderful poodles in the family who one of them is my neutral dog for training. So it works out. It, all, it will work out if you just follow your heart and do the research to validate that, you know, just because you think Malinois are adorable, they don't quite fit what you want to do activity wise. And then you find something else that is attractive to you. There's nothing wrong with following what's attractive. I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the point is the point to know is, you know, if you have strong look preferences, you're more likely to be successful going to a breeder. Yep. Although that doesn't necessarily guarantee it. When I was looking, so Niffler had, um, he was from a litter of seven and I got in some ways lucky and in some ways not the, the litter was really, really colorful. And I was really hoping for a non-black and white border collie. You know, I, I have a traditional, beautiful black and white border collie. I love Barley to death, but I was hoping for something different. Um, and the litter was a slate merle, a blue merle, a red merle, a black and white brown tri, um, a red sable, and then two black and whites. So I had the odds in my favor, but that didn't mean that I was guaranteed to end up with non-black and white. And because I had really strong temperament preferences, I had to continually remind myself and continually pep talk myself as the puppies were growing up that, you know what, if that black and white boy had the best temperament for what I want, darn it, I was going to take him. And I was going to be bummed about that. But, you know, even with a breeder where, you know, I do have a lot of choice. And I also, you know, to be honest, was looking at this litter partially because they were colorful. Mm-hmm. I, you know, temper went, was my number one concern. And I got really lucky that Niffler is my favorite color wise from the litter and had by far the best temperament. But that was, I'm just so lucky. Like, <laughs> and, and, you know, and so even with a breeder, it's not guaranteed. And I think you know, you have to realize with a breeder, one of the things, so I guess we'll go public tonight. Um, there is a challenge with working the pandemic puppy raising support group. And I am convinced it's a challenge because I am the fourth person to succumb to the issue. I had no intention of getting a puppy. 
we are not looking for a puppy. I put a deposit down yesterday. We went and looked at puppies, but (laughs) it will be my 11 year old son's dog. And we are going with an Irish red and white setter. I am not telling the breeder what I want. As far as I get this puppy, that does not how it is not how it works. This breeder, even though I'm a dog trainer, I've shown dogs for, well, since I was a kid, it's not my choice. I have given them my parameters. We want a show dog. We want a hunting dog, temperament, 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 because this will be my son's dog. This dog is going to jump in the truck and go for a ride and end up at the lake or a friend's house or who knows. I Temperament is incredibly huge to me. But the breeder and the owner of the stud dog are picking the puppy that goes to me because they know not just this litter best, but the parents and the grandparents and the aunt and uncles and they know better than I do because this is their area mm-hmm. of expertise. And we have to respect that with a breeder. And I love that you did that. I think that that was such a good point to make that you were going to take the dog that was the best for you, even if it wasn't your favorite color. But I'm glad you got lucky. I'm, yeah, me too. And I, the other pep talk I had myself with myself is, you know, Kayla, if you really, really, really don't want a black and white puppy, then you're not getting a puppy from this litter if it, if it doesn't work out. You know, like if that if that black and white boy is the best fit for you and you really don't want that color, then wait for another litter. And I hadn't quite decided. I didn't have to. Um, I was lucky enough to get to be there when the, the puppies were six weeks old and help with temperament testing. So I had a, a pretty good feeling that Niffler was going to work out for me. He scored far and away uh, more strongly on some of the search drive tests that we did. Um, but he is also the pick of the litter structurally. And I am really lucky that the breeder didn't decide to keep him as her keeper. Um, and we had a phone call about that topic because that she was like, you know, I really want to keep him as my keeper. I think you're the better home for him, but we actually have a a slightly different contract than normal because he's a potential breeding prospect and we're doing something similar to a co-own, um, which is something that we will get into another point on this podcast (laughs) because... Yeah, no, but that's a really good thing because you you took the time to listen to the breeder. And here's where I think we don't realize sometimes when working with the breeder, the breeder took the time to listen to Kayla. And because of that, they were able to work something out that makes you both happy. And she gets to have access to a dog for her program and you get the best dog for you. That's your dream dog. So I think it's just, you know, communication with your breeder is a wonderful thing. Let's talk about health testing. This is a big one. (laughs) It's a big one. So there is that old adage that mutts are healthier than purebreds. Mm-hmm. And it's, you have to kind of understand where it came from a little bit. In the past, we didn't have dogs behind fences the way we do now. And the dogs that tended to roam around and get pregnant were 57 different breeds. They used to be called Heinz 57, you know, and mm-hmm. That brought together a a lot of different genes that a lot of times eradicated health problems in certain breeds because you had so many things coming together. What's happening with a lot of the dogs and shelters now is we don't have such diversity of breeds going into what we call our mutts or mixed breed dogs. You know, a lot of times when you are running the, the DNA on the dogs, we're getting back two or three breeds. And so what people will often think is, well, gosh, I got a shepherd labrador mix from the shelter which means he's going to be healthy except that both labradors and shelters have hip problems 
And so if they're mm. both prone to hip dysplasia, neither one canceled out that issue in the other. And genetics aren't that simple. I'm doing a very, very simple explanation here. And so you have to realize that when you pick a dog, a lot of shelter dogs are healthy, especially when you're looking at an adult dog. If you're looking at a two or three-year-old dog and it's healthy, it's probably a reasonably healthy dog. But there's no guarantee. There are things that are genetic that you might get, hips, eyes, um, hearing, and there's things that you may not get. We don't know. And, and that's the challenge with purpose-bred breeders. And understand when Kayla and I are talking about breeders, we are talking about reputable breeders who are doing their best not to make money, but to create the best possible dog as a breed representative to continue on breeds that they care about. And they are doing health testing to determine what things their line may carry and how they can breed to eradicate that challenge in their line. One of the neat things when I lived in Europe was hip dysplasia in Labradors became a very big challenge. Mm -hmm. And the Swedish government simply said, okay, well, if your dog's not, I think it was good or excellent, then you don't get to breed it. Period. And the people who owned Labradors, quite simply, if their dog didn't have x-rays that said their hips were of breedable quality, got to spay and neuter their dogs. There was no choice. And they had some really good results with getting better hips on their dogs. And so my friends in the US that bred were asking me to go, you know, since I lived over there, go find them dogs so that they could improve the hips on their dogs in the United States. Again, these are all very simplistic discussions, but when you're looking at a breeder, they're going to do the health testing. We went and looked at the puppy this weekend for my son. And I, I mean, this was, this has been a very fast, literally within 10 days of thinking we might get a dog. I put a deposit on a puppy. It's come about, I'm telling you, it's the pandemic puppy raiser support group, puppy something. I don't know. There's this little like genie that's giving us all puppies. Um, I asked before I ever went and looked at the litter. I said, you know, I need to know the health testing on the puppies. Parents, mm -hmm. I have three generations that have their chick number, meaning they've done all the testing. The breeder of the stud dog is a breeder of merit with her national breed club. The owner of the mother had the grandfather, the aunt, and the mom there for me to meet and has all of their health testing. So it's not just the parents, the grandparents, and the great-grandparents, but they sent me health testing for all the siblings and aunts and uncles. I could go through 50 things on the OFA website. That's important. Yeah. That is telling me. The odds of this dog being with my son till he's a grown man and being healthy and going hunting and holding his hand as he goes through all the things in teenage years that I know little boys go through is tremendously good because they did all of that. And I'm incredibly grateful for that because what I want for my children is the same relationship I had with the Doberman I had when I was a teenager who saw me through all the fun of being a teenager. And so it's important that our breeders health test and each and Kayla has so good information on how do you know what health test to look for Kayla? So basically what I start with is you Google the breed name plus health testing recommendations and the breed club um, will pop up with recommendations and then talking to people, you know, that's, a, that's a good place to start. I will say I occasionally find us like AKC or breed clubs a little bit, you know, they, they love their purebreds and they can be a little rosy about things um so i think there are times where they they don't necessarily go as in-depth as i might prefer to see 
Um, and then also knowing that with with any purebred dog, though there are things you can't test for. Um, mm-hmm. So with border collies, which is my breed, my main concerns are epilepsy, hearing issues, anxiety, sound sensitivity, and obsessions and fixations. Guess what? You can't test for any of those. Well, you can test for hearing issues. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, so I'm I, when I was looking for a puppy with Niffler, I did a lot of talking um, to the breeder about the other issues. There are epilepsy databases, but there is no way to genetically test Niffler or his parents to say that they don't carry the genes that cause epilepsy because it's just too complicated. So, you know, you can stack the deck in your favor again with a, a really well-bred dog um, and even, you know, necessarily sometimes being honest, um, the breeder being honest with you about, like, as I said, with Niffler, um, the breeder didn't get as much health testing done with the stud dog as she had hoped. Um, the stud dog was actually her second choice for this breeding. Um, and then Cora, the the dam came into heat a little bit early. So the artificial insemination couldn't happen because of COVID mailing issues. And, you know, there were, there were things that kind of happened, but we were still able to kind of talk through that. And I decided that I was still comfortable going forward without all of the health testing that I had originally hoped for. And with a shelter dog, you're going to have none of that generally. Um, I will say like once we had like a Portuguese water dog that came from a really nice breeder show up at the shelter that came with all of his health testing and pedigree info. And you know what happened? The breeder came and got that dog two hours later. <laughs> you know, that dog did not make it onto the adoption of floor because we, we pulled all that up and we're like, we should probably call the breeder. Um, and we called the breeder and she came and got him. So as much as you can do with breeding, you know, there's still a chance that stuff is going to happen. There's still a chance that two dogs with good hips can produce a puppy with fair hips. Um, that happens all the time, but at least you can stack the deck in your favor. I do know some shelters will allow you to do in specific situations. I know some people who source working dogs from shelters and they will do hip x-rays before adopting the dog. But odds are, if you're just kind of an average person listening to this podcast, you're not going to be able to get the shelter to do hip x-rays on your dog before you take it home. And if you need it, if you did, there's no use doing that with a young puppy. Um, That's only really useful once they're done growing. Absolutely. So, you know, you can hope for health. You can, you know, I knew with Barley that he was, he was apparently healthy when I, when I adopted him. So you can avoid anything massive, probably. But there is absolutely a chance, you know, like he was only three. There's still a chance he could have developed epilepsy or they could have not told us that he was being dropped off at the shelter for epileptic se- because he was having epileptic seizures. And that's not necessarily something we would have seen in the shelter right away. And I could have then had him in my house for a month or two before I realized that like, oh my gosh, he's got a really serious health issue. Absolutely. It's tough. I mean, the health stuff is tough. You know, again, the best we can do is go to a really good breeder and stack the decks in our favor. That's not a guarantee, though, and there's nothing wrong with you know going with an apparently healthy puppy from a shelter. Absolutely. And honestly, take out an insurance policy if mm-hmm. large unexpected bills are a concern. Have it for a couple of years and see how your dog does. If nothing crops up in the first year, then some of the more obvious things probably aren't going to be a problem for you. Um, but at least it gives you a little bit of peace of mind for that first year so that you can, and a lot of shelters and veterinarians have programs where when the dog is newly adopted or newly bought, you don't have to necessarily get the full orthopedic exam. So if you get the insurance right away, you can 
give your dog time to show you what they have or hopefully yeah. don't have. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I've been, I've used healthy paws for barley since I got him and I've been loving it. They've reimbursed us for a variety of things because, you know, even though he's had so far no genetic issues, he swallowed a stick around this time last year that ruptured his intestines and we had to get surgery. Um, you know, I've I've really got, I love my pet insurance. (laughs) I tell you, I have a lot of clients and I mean, and there's even pet insurance that will pay for behavior issues. And I have clients that use that on their behavior cases and think, you know, I have a client with a lovely Kona Corso. I adore this dog and their health insurance pays for his behavior work. You just can't. That's so cool. It is. I was really excited. Um, but it's really, yeah. you know, it's, it's a big deal. And that peace of mind, you know, I, we have a daughter with a lot of health issues. Having health insurance with my daughter is the biggest blessing in the world. And it's no different with your dog because, you know, we all know we, they're, they're family members. There's just totally whatever you call your dog, they, they matter and we need them, you know, to have access to healthcare as well. Community need is a really interesting subject. I think that, um, in America, we, we have a strong drive toward adopting shelter dogs and to rescue Mm -hmm. and, you know, what our community needs in areas of, you know, taking care of the dogs that are in our shelters is a big deal. And if you live in an area where there's a lot of dogs in shelters and they don't have high adoptability, it's a really neat thing to be able to go in, find a dog that fits your family and take that dog home and give it a wonderful life. What are Mm. your thoughts on that, Kayla? Yeah, I think, you know, I totally overall agree you know especially if you're in an area where the shelters are really overworked you know the exact areas where the shelters might get vilified the most because they might have high euthanasia rates that is exactly where if you have an altruistic urge with adopting i would say that's a great place to go you know versus in denver i don't think i would have done a ton of good necessarily by adopting a puppy from the shelter I worked for because there were a hundred people in line behind me. <laughs> um, you know, obviously it was helpful that that puppy got adopted, but it didn't have to be me. Right. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of like personal drive to do that because again, I mean, literally when we had a litter of puppies, we would have a, a line um, of people waiting to take them home. And that is not the case everywhere. So again, if if you're if one of your your goals is altruism, and say you live in D.C. and you don't have a lot of sh- shelters, you know the shelters have to bring a lot of dogs in because there's just not a lot of homeless pet homelessness in the D.C. area. And I'm 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 guessing here, driving six hours to go pick up a puppy from somewhere in Appalachia might do a lot more good and help bring a puppy home. That again, you might be going to one of these quote unquote, high kill shelters that everyone likes to vilify, but you're actually doing more good by going there because that puppy might've actually been at risk there. So, you know, I think that, I think that's important for people because a lot of us, you know, we like feeling good about our rescue dogs. We like feeling good about our shelter dogs. That's awesome. Um, But if you're willing and able to take on a dog from an area that really needs that help, or the other side, if you are willing and able to take on a dog who needs some extra TLC, you know, that fearful puppy that got passed over because it was cowering in the corner or that three-legged puppy or that puppy who is missing half its ear from frostbite or 
whatever it is, you know, if you're willing and able to take that on and that is a motivating factor for you, then like absolutely go for it. And there's nothing wrong with part of your dog choice being the fact that you want to do good. Um, you know, I, I would argue that supporting really responsible breeders is also a perfectly noble, worthy goal, but it's not quite the same as taking home a puppy who's at risk of euthanasia if you don't take it home. Absolutely. I agree. And I think, you know, I lived in the South for several years and living there, there was a period of time where I had a possum on IV fluids in my bathtub, a litter mm -hmm. of Doberman mixes in my backyard. And then I picked up a litter of Beagle mixes and their mom, and they were living in my dining room. <laughs> you know, the puppy population there, um, and I, and you know, the beagle mix was, had her puppies in a tree trunk that log that was laying on the ground. And I went through Turkey at her till she came out. And I, I thought she was by herself and she actually just kept coming and bringing me more and more babies. And the Doberman mixes I found, and I had Dobermans at the time. I was, I decided to go home through the bayous where there's just nothing. And I found an entire litter of eight week old puppies running around in the, in the backwoods. And so I brought them home. The puppy availability there was a lot different than it is here in Northern California, where I can't source puppies for my clients from shelters to save my life. I mean, it is really hard. And I do behavior for, for a couple of shelters and rescues. And when we have one puppy available, there's 200 applications. Yeah. So, you know, I'm we're very blessed that they get adopted, but there are areas where they don't. And you know, look at your local area, ask in your local community, how do I find pet puppies within, you know, 300 miles of here? And if you don't know how to drive down and pick up a puppy, ask around, go on the pandemic puppy page on how to transport puppies, bring them back and love them. It is some of them, you know, I have, I obviously I do purebred dogs that are purpose-bred, our poodles and my big dog are adopted. I can tell you there's just no difference in my heart they all have their special place for different reasons and whichever you choose, it's a good choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I know I actually got a little bit of hate on my Instagram for bringing home Niffler from a breeder. And, um, you know, I mean, the reality is I do hope that my next dog comes from a shelter again. You know, I, I love that Barley is a shelter dog. I also really love getting to bring home an adult dog because like, man, puppies are a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, you know, I think we've said quite a bit here, but I think the point is if if altruism is a big goal for you, you know, great, then just then go for it. But, you know, figure out how to do it. And that you might have to work with a transport or you might have to go on a road trip or whatever, which the reality is you would have to do that if you were getting a puppy from a breeder in most cases as well. So just know that you know, you might have to do a little bit of extra work depending on what part of the country you're in, in order to go get that puppy and to do the most good. And that's, that's, that's great. Pandemic puppy road trip. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Uh, let's go. <laughs> Yeah, at least at least bring us along as your podcast listening. You know, Becca and I can join you as as your your audio. Um, you know, even if we don't get to join in in physical experience. So our last point um, before we hit to our Patreon questions is um, sourcing ability. 
So the biggest thing that I know Rebecca and I have hit over and over here is that we want you to source that dog responsibly, whether it's from a breeder or a shelter rescue. So purchasing that puppy online or adopting a puppy online or adopting it from a grocery store parking lot often ends up supporting those unsavory breeders and you don't get the benefits of working with a stellar breeder. It's kind of a lose-lose. <laughs> You know, getting a, a, a puppy from a really irresponsible breeder doesn't give you the health testing, doesn't give you the genetic backing that you're hoping for, and you're not doing good. So it just really isn't, I, you know, it's not something I would recommend pretty much ever. I'm sure there's a case where there's an exception. While you might feel like you're rescuing a puppy or helping someone out with an oops litter, sometimes you're actually supporting a network that preys on your desire for that cute ball of fluff. And proceed with extreme caution. You know, obviously, if you have a friend that you know who had an oops letter, there's nothing wrong with taking a puppy from that. But if, you know, be really cautious of Craigslist ads because sometimes, you know, they'll say, we had an oops letter, we're asking this price to make sure they go to good homes, blah, blah, blah. There have been investigations and there have been cases where it turns out that they were doing this intentionally all the time and helping people feel like they were rescuing when they were actually essentially a puppy mill. And no matter what they say at the pet store, puppies from the vast majority of pet stores are from puppy mills. Stay away. There are exceptions where they might be getting transferred in from a shelter, but they should be able to show you proof of that. So, you know, pet stores are not a responsible place to get them. Expect finding your puppy to take time, whether it's coming from a shelter or a breeder, the odds are it's going to take you a little bit of time. You know, Becca and I have both told stories of how our puppies kind of fell into our laps abruptly. So it happened for both of us actually faster than we were hoping, which can happen <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, there's nothing wrong with that. But you're not necessarily, the, the reality is with either a breeder or a shelter, you're not going to necessarily get to choose when it comes home. That's okay. Um, you might have a little bit more control with a breeder, or at least you generally are going to know ahead of time that the puppy is coming. Um, you know, even with Niffler, I knew when he was three weeks old that I was probably getting a puppy from this litter. So I had six weeks to prepare. Um, Rebecca, it sounds like you've got about a week to prepare, which is not yeah. much time at all. But it is more than if you saw a puppy on Pet Finder, went in the moment the shelter opened the next day and brought that puppy home that night. Right. And honestly, you know, did it take Kayla and I very long to find these puppies? No. But if you think about it, we've both put in quite a bit of time as professionals. And so when the breeders were ready and looking for a certain type of home, because we're both getting dogs that are going to do sport and show, and that's a big deal to the breeders, we've put in the time to show them that that's who we really are, that we are owners that are going to get their dogs out there and exposed, which helps build their program. So it may not have taken us very long to get the puppy because... We both said, hey, we're looking and there were litters available, but we put in years and years of demonstrating who we are and what we would do with the dog so that when it came time, the breeders knew who we were and it really helped. Yeah, I'm so glad you made that point because, you know, the reality is this might not happen the same way for you if you're not someone, you know, I, I think with most breeders, if someone comes to you and you're breeding a breed that works and shows and someone says, hi, I'm an experienced show dog handler. I've been doing it for three decades and I'm hoping to hunt. Of course, they're going to move you to the front of the line with your puppy versus if you're listening to this. And even though I'm sure you're a lovely home, you're listening to this podcast, you're doing the work. But 
you won't necessarily be an application that when a breeder sees it, they're just like immediately like, oh my God, I have to get a puppy into this home. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're great listener. I'm, I really, I genuinely believe that, but, but it might still take you time to find the right puppy. The other thing I want to point out when we're talking about sourceability is one of the reasons so many people choose purebred dogs and purpose-bred dogs is they're looking for some health consistency, temperament consistency, behavior consistency. And Kayla brought up that, you know, so many dogs that are on Craigslist that are advertised for sale that are at pet stores are coming from either backyard breeders and or puppy mills. When we talk about genetic consistency in a dog and you have dogs that are being bred in those environments, what often happens is a degradation of both emotional health, so behavior and physical health. And you are almost at the same kind of, for me, when I judge those type of things, I'm looking, if I'm looking at a shelter dog and I'm looking at a backyard breeder slash puppy mill puppy, I, I don't judge them differently on physical and emotional health because the mm-hmm. puppy mill has bred, you know, mom to son to uncle to daughter for 10 generations and lost all genetic diversity because they're so inbred, which creates problems which are no different than the dogs at the shelter that haven't had anybody looking over trying to make sure they're creating the best possible dog in the world. Our goal is to always have the healthiest dog possible so that that dog can live a joyful, fulfilled life doing what it loves to do. And the best way to do that is to go to an ethical breeder. And if you're not doing that, I agree with Kayla 100%, please don't support the puppy mills and backyard breeders who aren't trying to create healthy dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So our Patreon question is, I'll, I'll just read it and we'll let you see what you have to say. And then we'll, oh, no. we'll because <laughs> this, is, this could absolutely be a, its entire own episode exactly. with most of our Patreon questions. So I am adopting a puppy at eight weeks old. The breed is prone to a high prey drive and I'd like to proactively socialize it with livestock. They work on a farm with fowl, goats, horses, and also live with cats. And they're unsure of the best way to do this. I can pull up the breed here in a moment um, because I do have that on their intake form. Uh, it's a Northern Inuit dog. So I don't actually know anything about that breed. It doesn't tell me a whole lot. So I happen to live on a farm, <laughs> which, which is going to help me just a little bit here. I want that puppy out with the livestock when I bring it home. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm going to throw the puppy on my chest in a chest carrier and I'm going to feed the horses and I'm going to feed the chickens and I'm going to pet the puppy and I'm going to have a gross, disgusting salmon stick for that dog to eat or a trout skin or something. And as Mm -hmm. I walk into the stall or the chicken coop, that puppy is going to be chewing and gnawing on that thing while we feed chickens, while we pet horses. And from day one, we're going to start developing that relationship. And Mm -hmm. as you know, after I'm done feeding, I might have the goats out and I don't have goats anymore, but if I did, I might have the goats sitting there eating their hay. When animals are eating, they're boring. That's the best time to socialize your puppy to those animals. And so you sit down with a bully stick or whatever your puppy loves, and you just start playing right there. That's a great time to do some hand target training. 
I want to do things that are so simple. My puppy absolutely can't not get it right. And I'm going to do it for five or six minutes and then I'm going to go away. Yeah. I don't want the puppy to get so bored with me that it says, okay, you're boring. There's a horse tail hanging from heaven. Yes, I can hang on that. That's not what I want. I wanted to say, well, you're boring. Mm -hmm. They're boring. Let's go in the house and have some fun. How do I get my human to be ah. more fun? And I want it to be all about me. And the animals just happen to be there. And I'm going to, you know, one of the first behaviors I teach is a really strong leave it or yours and mine, however you want to, whatever you want to call it, so that my puppy can learn, oh, look, there's a horse and they'll get up on their toes and they're looking at the horse and I'll say, good dog, leave it. And they've already learned the cue in a safe, low distraction environment, like my living room. I'll sit in the barn aisle and play it when all the horses are eating and we can't even see them. And then I'll play it when there's a cat eating out of its bowl. I always want to do these things when the other animals are as boring as possible, which typically is when they're eating and they just got their food. And then that puppy just gets the highest, most fun treats for leaving the animals alone. Or if it's a dog that enjoys play drive, we go to a game. How would you address Mm -hmm. it, Kayla? Yeah, I think really, really similar. And it is awesome that, you know, you're thinking about this before the puppy's coming home. Yes. um, Or, you know, by the time this airs, the puppy might be home. Um, And you're thinking about it while the puppy is really young, because this is going to be so much easier to deal with right now with your eight week old puppy than it would be if you waited until the puppy was a year old and you waited to socialize. Um, So, yeah, I like I like everything you're saying. I also would add in, you know, distance and letting the animals move a little bit more freely as your puppy gets more comfortable. So, you know, perhaps being across your driveway from the farm while the goats are out playing, playing something like a look at that game with those goats and knowing that when the animals are moving or when they're in a group, that might set off different instincts. So add in distance in those situations Um, and manage as, as things go on. Um, The cat is likely to be the most challenging for you because the cat is probably in the house. Um, It's also small, although so are the fowl, but the fowl are probably contained to a degree, or at least, you know, like, oh God, the chickens are out. So when we let the dog out, the dog needs to be on a leash. The cat, if the cat is cohabitating with your dog, that's probably going to be where it's most challenging. So really working heavily on the leave it, disengaging from the cat, um, giving the cat elevated places to go so that the cat can get up and away from the puppy. So I love just like getting some Ikea shelves or something and getting them along the wall so that the cat can just boop, 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 get up and away from the dog. Um, that's all going to be helpful. But again, starting this right away is going to be so much easier to be, to teach your puppy, not this, that. Yep. And I think it's really important to remember, you know, habits are created when they're rewarded. And some rewards are so incredible. You know, I remember the first time I ate creme brulee. I was I was going through England with friends and I can't remember where the heck we were, but we had creme brulee for dessert. And the next day we were supposed to leave and we all stayed because we wanted creme brulee that night. And then we went and we went all over the place and went and saw stuff. And when we got, we talked about how to get back to London to fly back to Germany we all decided to go to the same village so we could have that creme brulee again because it was the most incredible creme brulee I had ever had. Let me tell you, yeah. chasing an animal is the creme brulee of dog behavior. And so mm-hmm. when I have a dog that that's even a, a possibility of an issue, 
they're never given the opportunity to practice that behavior. They mm-hmm. are on, a, if it's in the house, they're on a leash tied to me until I have 99% success calling that dog back away from the cat. I will have mm-hmm. kids run back and forth with skateboards, bicycles, just kids doing, I mean, I come up with crazy stuff, jumping jacks and, you know, bouncing mm-hmm. bunnies, go be a bouncing bunny across the room. But I'm not going to put that dog in a position to get that incredibly high reinforcement of how fun it is to chase livestock. I will not let that occur. And prevention is the best medicine. Honestly, if I had never had creme brulee, I'd be five pounds lighter right now. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. I feel the same way about brownies with ice cream. Like the hot brownies (laughs) with ice cream. Like, oh my God. Exactly. Um, And I love, so I love, like, this is the last thing, because again, we we're trying not to turn these Patreon <laughs> questions into their own episodes. Um, time management is not my forte. <laughs> but um, one other thing that you can think about is, you know, your puppy has those genes where it wants to chase, it wants to grab, it wants to bite. Mm-hmm. Map those genes onto something appropriate. If you can get your puppy super addicted to a flirt pole or a lure, you know, you can get lure coursing setups. Um, Obviously, well, your puppy's way too young to be even thinking about lure coursing, but a flirt pole is a great opportunity to let your puppy stalk it. Let them chase it. Let them grab it, bite it, kill it, dissect it. (laughs) Take that prey drive that they have because they have those genes and you can't just prevent those genes from ever expressing but you can map them onto something appropriate. So I do this all the time when I'm talking to my border collie clients where they're like, my dog is chasing cars and trying to herd kids. And I'm like, great, let's get them into herding lessons. And they say, doesn't that teach them to herd? I say, your dog already knows how to herd. (laughs) We're teaching them how to do it appropriately. And if we teach them cues and impulse control around herding or around flirt poles, then we can use those in emergency situations later. I know a lot of people who have border collies that work stock where the dog's ability to lie down or come by around stock has saved them around wildlife as well. So that's kind of the last thing we will say there. Yay. Good point. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, But hopefully that gets you started. Um, over the next couple episodes, we're going to cover how to pick a breeder, how to find a shelter, how to pick a puppy once you've decided where to go. Just remember that not all puppy sources or puppies are created equal. So be sure to tune in. Um, and you know, we'll have episodes coming up soon for people who already have puppies in their home. They're, they're coming. I promise we've already recorded some of them. Um, so Rebecca, where can people find you online? You can go to Facebook and find me. I have a page Wintegrity Canine. And then also a, a group where you can ask a lot of questions and get answers at Wittegrity Canine Rebecca Hints. And I am in the dark ages and don't have a website. <laughs> Referrals work really well. So I haven't had the uh, reinforcement to build one. That's fine. Yeah, if it's working. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. Um, make sure you subscribe, review, and consider supporting the podcast and getting more amazing information by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. You can sign up for the Puppy Raising Blueprint course at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. And of course, join the free Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook. Make sure you answer those membership questions or we will not let you in. Um, And we will have all of this information available on show notes on um, the Journey Dog Training website um, under Pandemic Puppy. Perfect. Thank you, Kayla. Thanks for listening, guys.